Genesis 24. If you want to, whatever you're using, to Genesis chapter 24. So there's not many here, but kids, uh, I want you to write down any numbers that you hear. Got it? Parents, you can help them out as you think you need to. The only numbers you don't want to write down are verses. So if I say like verse 12, don't put that down. But every other number is fair game. If you can take it to the back when we're done and explain at least one of those numbers to who's back there. Does that make sense? So let's say somewhere along the way I say somebody was 100 years old. You could write down who was 100 years old or just 100. And if you go back and say 100 and this person was 100 years old, then, then you'll be getting a prize today. Okay? Does that make sense? So there's a lot of numbers. Get down as many as you can, though. Parents, um, if you want to participate, you can play along, too. So afterwards, parents, you can come up and grab a fruit snack, all right, or cheese it, depending on what you think your child or what you would like. Um, you can get one per child. And you can go to your child later today, or I guess right after the service, and have them read off all the numbers that they wrote down. If you can explain what each of those numbers were referencing, then you can keep the fruit snack. <laughs> if you can't, then you need to give it to your child. Does that make sense? All right, and I'm also going to invite teenagers. You can participate too. So if you want, come up, grab one fruit snack or cheese it, and find a friend. You can read off all your numbers. If they can guess them all, then you have to give them the fruit snack. All right? If not, then you can keep it. Find a friend, find a you uh, staff person, or teens, step out of your comfort zone a little bit. Maybe find an adult you've never met before who you think you could beat and won't know the numbers, um, and, and then you can, keep, you can keep the fruit snack or the Cheez-Its. Does that make sense? All right, if there's a dispute, see Tim Smith, <laughs> and he will, he will solve the problem. <coughs> Genesis chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading everything from the NIV. It says, Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. And he said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living. But you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Let's pause there. This is a good question from his servant. What if this woman doesn't want to come back? So he's asking, the servant is going to travel about 500 miles about 500 miles from Canaan all the way back to their homeland of Ur, right? And he's hoping to find a relative within the family of Abraham. And he's going to say, hey, would you be willing to leave your immediate family, travel 500 miles back to an unknown land, and marry a guy you've never met? And so the servant is like, I don't know. What if she says no? What if I can't find somebody willing to come back to marry some unknown stranger, what about plan B? What if I take Isaac with me, we go the 500 miles back to your land, 
she can meet him. They can raise a family there. I'm not quite sure plan A is going to work real well. Uh, and, so, and so it's a logical question. What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? And Abraham says, verse 6, absolutely not. Make sure that you do not take my son back there. This is a great statement. And I think it shows a lot of growth in Abraham's faith. Now, I really, really enjoyed the students who sang Waymaker at Wes's celebration a couple weeks ago. And, and the lyrics there read, even when I don't see it, you're working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. And that, that idea, even though I can't see it, I know that you're working, that epitomizes, like that was the life of Abraham. So, so, God calls Abraham right from his home. He brings them into this promised land. And with this promise, Abraham, I'm going to greatly bless you. Look at, look at this whole land. I'm going to give it to you and your descendants. And your descendants are going to be so numerous. And Abraham comes into the land. Now, if you remember, there's a famine. I mean, a drastic, dramatic famine. And Abraham decides, well, this isn't working out. And so he takes everything he has and he moves them into Egypt. Do you remember this? Things, there were problems there. Um, and then he comes back into the land. And, and Abraham has been in, living in the land for 10 years. 10 years he's been in the land. And he has no children. You said you're going to give me this land. I own a little plot. I have no children. You said they were going to be numerous. And once again, Abraham decides, well, I'll make my own way. And he and Sarah decide he'll have a child through his maidservant, Hagar. Do you remember all this? But here, now, all these years later, when he has only one child of the promise, Isaac, who's now like 40 years old, that's it. I have one child through whom this promise is going to come. You've promised me I still don't have all the land. I still don't have numerous descendants. And so here, this time, when the servant says, well, maybe I should take him with me and go back to the land, Abraham goes, no. I know the promise maker at this point. He's going to make a way. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I don't need you. Do you see the contrast? In a famine, we need to leave the land. We need to go figure things out. I don't have any children. I better make a way. We'll make our own child. But this time he says, I don't see a way happening, but I'm just going to sit tight and trust that God is going to provide. I love it. Verse 7. And so he says, no, do not take my son back there. Verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath saying, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. Now, I think that's, that's Abraham sort of rationalizing, going, I don't know how he's going to do it. Maybe an angel's going to be sent before you, and he'll somehow show you a way. And I say that because look what he says in verse 8. If the woman is unwilling, he's like, hey, I get it. Who's going to want to travel back here to meet and marry some unknown guy? If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. 
So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Verse 10. So the servant left, taking with him 10 of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. And he set out for Aram Naharaim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. And he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And before he'd even finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. And she went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. Now pause there. This is a crazy prayer. This is nuts. And some of you are like, I know this prayer. So let me, let me introduce you to the, the character who is most relevant to this story. That's right. It's the camel. It's an amazing creature. Any camel fans? All right. I hope you will be by the time we're done here. Really amazing, amazing creature. Let me, let me explain, because you need to understand camels to know what's going on in this story and why this prayer is on the verge of idiotic. So, so the camel's an amazing thing. Um, first off, it, it's a two-toed creature. That's a hoofed creature. So picture a horse. You know those hoofs on a horse or a goat. But that's horrible for walking in sand. And so God created the camel with, it's actually a hoofed creature, but it's really just these big two toenails. That's it. Everything else is soft. It's got this nice padding underneath, uh, very, very unusual. And so it's perfect for walking in the sand. Now, if you've walked in sand, you know it's a little bit more tiring, right? It requires some more energy than just walking normal. And so, and so this padding and the soft hoof of the camel acts pretty much like a snowshoe. Do you get that? It spreads its weight out so it never actually sinks into the sand. And so for the camel, it's the same thing as walking on a sidewalk. And so it doesn't waste any energy that way. It has these nice long legs that keep it up from the heat of the sand. And then it's remarkably created to retain water. And so it does that in a couple ways. Um, so, so one is when, when we go to the bathroom... Number two, I don't know what word I'm allowed to say here, right? We, we draw water from our body so that it's pliable and movable. Are you with me? Good, thank you. Um, otherwise, it's really, really uncomfortable. But the camel actually draws no water from it for its number two. It somehow is able 
to produce, you like these euphemisms? To produce what is actually almost literally a log. It's actually good for the desert because it's so dry they can burn it and use it as fuel for a fire. It's an amazing thing. Um, and then it, it, it has a really cool, the nose of the camel does a couple things. It can shut clothes. You've probably seen that to keep sand out. But then the other amazing thing is its nose is colder than the rest of its body. And if you know, air, when we breathe, is the other way that we release a lot of moisture. And so the camel, when it breathes through its nose, because the nose is colder than its body, it condenses. All that moisture becomes little beads of right, water, and it just stays in its nose. Actually, what's cool is, you know what it actually does? It actually will release it from its nose, and it has a split lip. And the water is just a funnel that causes the water to go right back into its mouth, and it just drinks it. How cool is that? Um, what else do I want to tell you about the camel? So it also retains moisture because, um, well, the, the defining feature right of the camel is the hump, which is all fat. So the camel stores all of its fat on its back. We store fat in all kinds of different places. But the camel, just on the back. And so that does a couple things. It has very little fat anywhere else in its body. And if you know, fat is a good insulator, right? It retains heat. The camel, not so much so. It's losing heat everywhere except here on the back where all the fat is stored. And so it stores the fat and it releases heat. And that fat allows it to travel really, really long distances. Uh, up to 100 miles a camel can go without eating or drinking. That's how much it conserves its water, right? Um, it can reach an internal temperature of 106 degrees before it even begins to sweat. Right? I mean, we're in the hospital at 106 degrees. The camel can, can manage that. And so it's this really, really, there's a lot of other things remarkable about the camel. So it can travel up to 100 miles without drinking any water. And when it does drink water, it will drink 20 to 30 gallons of water. And this brings us to our story. Are you with me? So this, this servant decides... I believe God is going to show me the person who will marry Isaac. And he comes up with this equation. God, the girl that I say, could I drink, will you offer me a drink? And she agrees. Good, common, normal, hospitality, decency. But she also says, I will also water your camels. Now that's beyond the scope of normal, everyday hospitality. Especially because, look... It's not just the servant, by, right? You don't travel with 10 camels by yourself. You, I mean, you didn't travel by yourself in general. So it's a servant with his servants. There's no reason they can't water their own camels. But this is his prayer. And so Rebecca shows up. The servant sees her. Apparently, she's very beautiful. And so he decides, let's start there, right? And goes to her. She goes down. Now, I, my picture in the head, and I, don't, I didn't try to force this, but my picture in my head, because there's, there's, was it a well, like a stone well where you had to like lower a bucket, or is it like a, a spring? It uses both terms, all right? 
And so, and so because it uses and very, very specifically says that she went down to the spring, I'm picturing it's the start of a spring. So think Little Creek. Think, it's actually very, very accurate, right out there by the baptismal. Are you with me? Now, they, never, they would never pull their animals right up to the spring because they're dirty. I don't want to be gathering water while your camel's doing number two. Got it? And so, and so they would leave them. They would park their camels where we park our cars. That's where the animals would be. And they had trowels. And so Rebecca shows up. The servant sees her and thinks, she's a good-looking woman. She goes down. Picture it. She goes down to the creek. She takes her jar, fills it up with the water, and puts it on her shoulder and heads back up for whatever animals she might be feeding to put it in the trowel. And the servant says to her, could I have a drink? And she pulls it off and says, of course, you can have a drink. Now let's, let's continue here. Verse 19. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trowel, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Now, she's probably bringing a jar that could hold about two gallons of water. So it means per camel... Got it? So two gallons of water. The camel, each camel is going to drink 20 to 30 gallons of water. It means she's going to go down and up at least 10 times for each camel, of which there are 10. So she went back down, and she filled her jar, and she took it back up, and she put it in the trough. And she went back down, and she filled her jar, and she came back up, and she put it in the trowel. She went back. I got you. I hope you have time. Down. About a hundred times she did that. Can you picture it? Because it's probably pretty accurate. Down to the creek, filled the jar, back up, put it in the trowel. Which is why, what in the world was the servant thinking when he prayed? The girl who says, I'll water all your camels. She's the one. And go, Rebecca. Rebecca says, and I'll water all your camels. And then I love verse 21. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. And so he waits. And I think, what if, what if she hadn't done it? What if he had to go back to Abraham and say, hey, I couldn't find someone for your son Isaac. And he goes, oh, he goes, well, what'd you do? Well, I, I prayed that, you know, a girl would be willing to water all 10 ki- You what? I don't know. It seemed to make sense at the time. So, wait, you thought God was going to provide a girl who's going to water all 10 camels? Eh. Well, there was a girl. And she did eight of them. But not all 10, so I didn't bring her back with me. Right? Like, it's, a, it's crazy. It's an insane prayer, and yet it's exactly what God brought about. Verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two 
gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. And he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? And she answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Now Moses, when he wrote this, sort of had that spoiler uh, at the beginning. But the servant doesn't know. He just sees a young girl. She's attractive. Hey, could you give me a drink? She says, yes, I'll also water your camels. He's like, whoa, you, like, do you get how crazy this is? And then, then he finds out, and you happen to be a relative of Abraham. And so you see his response, verse 26, he bowed down and worshiped the Lord. It's a great story. It's one of those stories that, I don't know if you ever heard some people call it a God thing. Have you ever used that term? It's that, it's that event where things just kind of fit perfectly together. It's not quite, if we're honest, the level of like miracle where we think, oh my goodness, that was like highly, that's miraculous. But it's way above just God's normal everyday working. And we just know God was at work there. And he orchestrated everything perfectly. It's a God thing story. Uh, how, many, how many of you could tell a God thing story? I'm really curious. Put in, let me just look around a little bit. All right. Pray for you. Yeah, yeah, it still happens today. God is working. Even when we don't see it. Does he always work like this? He doesn't. You know, to go, to go back to Abraham and his story... Between Genesis 12 and 22, God speaks and reveals himself like nine times to different people in a whole variety of ways. Sometimes it's in human form. Sometimes it's in a vision. Sometimes it seems like he was just talking. And all these times, God was kind of like, hey, come on over to Canaan. I'm going to do this. And yet, when Sarah and Abraham were thinking, maybe you should have a child by Hagar, the maidservant, God was silent. And you think, of all the times, God, for you to speak, why not right there? But he chose not to. He was silent. But these God thing stories are real, and they keep happening. Um, if, if, if you doubt it, if you're someone who thinks, I don't really know, um, maybe I'm a, you consider yourself an atheist, uh, Come, come talk to somebody and have them share their God thing story with you. I've got a few. And see what God is doing. If, if you're doing something, see the God, the God thing story is God fulfilling promises. It's God revealing himself. It's God reminding us, I'm present. I see you. I'm working. Even if I'm silent, I'm working. But I'm here. And there's such great stories. But, but this may sound odd to you. I don't know everyone here this morning. But I'm not sure God's ultimate goal is just that we believe in his existence. Do you, that's not actually his ultimate goal. I mean, he's created all of creation that we should be able to look at it and go, there must be a God. But he... That's not his, like, end point. Someday, when you stand before God, the question won't be, did you believe in my existence? The question's going to be, were your sins forgiven? And that's a big difference. 
it's not about just believing in God's existence. It's about knowing him and him being able to know you. And in that, there's great news. Because the Bible says that sin, the wages of sin is death. It's a spiritual death. That we're separated from God from our sin. And we've all sinned. Lying, selfishness, greed. I mean, it's just within human nature. We can't forgive it ourselves and we don't outweigh it with good works. And so God's going to ask where your sins forgiven and there's only one way, but there is a way. And that's the good news. There is a way for sins to be forgiven. That is why God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, and why Jesus willingly went to the cross and died there. That was the payment for all sin. And it's offered freely as a gift, not by works, Ephesians 2, so that no one can boast. God is not about people boasting and saying, hey, I was good enough to get here. What was wrong with you? Purely by faith, purely a gift that God offers. He already paid the price for forgiveness. We just need to accept it and ask for it. And I pray that you'll do that this morning. Let me pray for us. And then uh, if you need a, a review of the rules of the game or whatnot, come see me. Father God, thank you so much for this story that you've given us in your word. How it's a reminder that even when we don't see it, you are working. You, you provided in such a, a fun, amazing way for the wife of Isaac and, and um, answered this prayer of their servant. You were listening to his servant. Thank you for being a promise keeper and a way maker. And though we don't always see it, and sometimes you are silent, and it brings confusion, maybe even frustration. Lord, bring these, these stories from the lives of those in the Bible, from the lives of those around us, so that we can hear it and be reminded of your great presence, that we are seen by you. So we thank you so much for being that God. And I want to offer an opportunity just as we're praying, if you're here this morning or you're watching online, to accept this free gift of forgiveness that God offers through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. You are choosing to receive forgiveness by the death of Jesus, that he paid the penalty for your sin. And through that, you can be forgiven. And there's no, no exact words that you need to say, but I'll invite you to, to simply confess to God that you know you are a sinner and that you are depending entirely upon Jesus Christ and his death on the cross for your forgiveness of sins. And the Bible says that that act of faith, accepting him as your Savior, passes you from death to life and we praise you and thank you god so much it's what we celebrated in communion this morning and is the heart of our worship and our lives thank you for your great promises especially the resurrection of your son from the dead that he didn't remain dead but that he showed you are a god who can do all things so father we commit ourselves into your good and faithful hands Thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. Thank you, guys.